everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Confidential. This is Manoj Tandon, your host. And today we are joined by Jordan Graham. Jordan uh, heads up our project management team uh, and is also shares some responsibility in operations. He's a, a jack of all trades, if you will, around here at Dark Rhino, and we love him for it. Uh, so Jordan's here today, and we're going to talk a little bit about SOC 2. So Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Manoj, thanks for having me, man. It's been good. I haven't been on here too much lately, but uh, looking forward to talking and sharing some information. Well, we're going to change that a little bit. Now, I know everyone listening, SOC 2 sounds like an ultra boring topic, but we'll it's an important one. Um, so we'll try and keep it as interesting as possible without getting into the to all the low-level leads. But let's start with some basics here, Jordan. What the heck is SOC 2? Security Operation Center Controls. No. <laughs> so that's a common misconception. So the SOC audit in and of itself, and there's three types, and we'll cover those here, uh, here after a while. But uh, the SOC audit is actually a financial audit, and it was actually designed to uh, help financial institutions audit their, uh, their security posture to ensure that they were transacting in ways that were secure with their clients and internal and external, right? And uh, so that's where it kind of stemmed from. And uh, much like compliance factors with HIPAA and high trust and all these other common ones, uh, it kind of stems from that same kind of ideal that it's just a way for organizations to ensure that they're they're working in secure ways and they have processes and, and things in place to uh, make sure that their data is secure. So let me... Uh make sure everybody understood that, that this is not like the NIST framework or the MITRE ATT&CK framework. It is not something that came out of the cybersecurity industry. It came out of accounting. And uh, for those of you playing Trivial Pursuit, SOC stands for System and Organization Controls, right? And there's uh, multiple standards to it. So how does you know, it seems to be a big deal in our industry. Everybody, uh, we got all bent out of shape over our SOC audit and uh, a lot of our customers insist on us having it, which is why we got forced into doing it. Uh, but explain a little bit about what, do you think it makes us more secure? And then I you know, there's type one, type two, and you mentioned actually three types. Mm -hmm. You wanna give us a little bit of a background on this? For sure. Yeah. So let's start with the the meaningful nature of the SOC audit. Okay. Okay. So, you know, you, you pose the question there, you know, does it make us more secure? Okay. Well, as a security company, my answer to that is yes and no. Okay. And here's why I say this. So absolutely it makes us more secure and that what it does is it brings us to the point that now that we have, so we had security controls in place previously. Right. Obviously, we had all of our basic fundamental security things in place to protect us from from intrusion and things of that nature. Right. However, the SOC audit, what that did for us was it really took us to the point where we now have things documented. Right. And it really kind of helped us formalize some processes and it helped us get to the point that we are much more, I guess, fluent would be the word. Right. And how we operate internally. So now even though that we had security controls and measures in place previously, now we have things documented to the point that there's hard, tangible processes that must be followed in order for us to remain in compliance with our SOC attestation report, right? Okay. So yes, it does make us more secure, 
um, and that we we now have a framework to work off of internally to ensure that we're following those processes to keep things turning in the right direction, right? Uh, so there's many types of SOC audits. So okay. the most recent one that we went through was the SOC 2 Type 1. Then you have the SOC 2 Type 2. And then most recently, you have what they call SOC 2 Plus, okay? Okay. So the SOC 2 Type 1, all right? So when you talk about Type 1, you have to talk about Type 2 as well because they're one and the same with one key difference. So in the audit, your assessor is going to come in and he or she is going to look at your documentation. They're going to okay. look at everything from your policies, your procedures, uh, and this encompasses everything, not just your security protocols. This encompasses your, your onboarding, your offboarding, uh, your human resources, right? They want to see everything that goes on inside of your organization. Is there a part of the company that it does not touch, Jordan? Negative. No, the SOC 2 audit touches everything because everything inside of an organization can be linked to security in some capacity, whether it be leaking PII, uh, you know, any of those kind of abstract security things, right? If you want to call them that, uh, it can all be encompassed. So no, everything inside the company is in scope with the exception of, I, I don't think it covers financials, right? Um, right? The physical, hard, tangible, you're not required to put any kind of you know, financial reports on the table for your audit, right? But uh, the fundamental difference between the type one assessment and the type two assessment is that the type one assessment, it is going to look at things in an as-is state, right? So your policies, procedures, how you execute against them, it's gonna look in a very as-is state and it's gonna require that your assessor sees that it occurred one time. So if I say that for onboarding, I'm going to submit a request to my help desk. That request then has to get approval from one of, let's say, three people, right? And then access is granted. The assessor is then going to make sure that that process was followed correctly one time, okay? Okay. This now, is in the type one. This is in the type one, correct. Okay. So it's a one-time attestation to the, the, the policy, procedure, and process that you say is in place internally to protect against security frameworks, right? Okay. Type two is going to be an over the a period of time, right? So your your assessor and that period of time can and will vary. Um, on average, it's about six months to a year. Um, six months being the more common. However, some of your larger enterprises are actually required to go the 12 month attestation period for their recertifications okay. on their SOC twos. The initial reports can take up to 18 months in very large corporations, um, and so the type two takes it one step farther in that it kind of gives your customers the the understanding that, okay, this business is adhering to their policies and procedures over a significant period of time. And the consistency of the process is now being observed and validated. See where I'm going? So how does that, so you're, the assessor is doing that even in the type one because you have to prove that you did it once, but you're saying Correct. the type two, are they, are they looking for it for more than once? Are they looking mm -hmm. for a pattern? How does that work? Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get, you know, there's always going to be those kind of like a firewall rule, right? You're always going to have those firewall rules in your environment that only get used once in a blue moon, okay. right? The same goes yep. for your policies and procedures. So if a rule or if a policy or procedure is not used, then it's not going to be counted against you because you never executed against it. But those policies and procedures that were utilized Right. So the more common ones, you know, like onboarding, offboarding being a big one, 
I'll just keep using that as my example because it's used everywhere frequently, right? Sure. Um, you know, those policies and procedures, they're, they're looking in type two for the consistency of that process. So type one, it happened once, good on you. Type two, okay, now they've done it 10, 12, 15, 100 times, right? And yeah. they were consistent in how they approached it. They never had a red flag. You can have red flags in your type two. Um, it just must be over, it's an 85% uh, success rate is what okay. they deem. So if you do something four times, you know, uh, you really can't afford to drop the ball once because at that time you're at 75%, right? But if you do it right. five times, you can afford a one a one error margin there and still be within the 85% margin required to get your, your points essentially that you are following that process consistently and repeatedly. You know, Jordan, so uh, one of the things like we offer SLAs and I think a lot of firms offer SLAs back to mm -hmm. their customers. If you're SOC 2 compliant, to me, it seems like you're necessarily putting in an additional backstop against those SLAs that's saying you really can't have so many SLAs that get um, credited because that's going to take away from your SOC 2 accreditation. Am I? Abs absolutely, yes. So that's uh, you and I were talking about that earlier this week, actually, you know, and I, I mentioned to you earlier, now I'll hit on that point here momentarily that you just brought up, but. One of the other things that I mentioned to you earlier this week, Manoj, was that you know I I really want to take it one step farther, and and so here at Dark Rhino Security, you know we focus largely on the SMB client, right? Right. So when it comes to security measures, it's not uncommon for a lot of our clients to have minimal, if any, security knowledge. Some of them do, some of them don't, right? Right. Um, and if they do, those security teams are often very small. So achieving something internally like SOC 2 compliance can be very difficult for them, especially if they go through the physical assessment process. However, one of the significant values that I believe MSSPs like us can start adding to the market is taking our internal SOC 2 report and helping our customers apply that to their day-to-day -day operations, right? So assisting them with being SOC 2 compliant without actually going through the attestation that's gonna enhance their measures as well. Now, internally, you're absolutely right. So the SOC 2 framework that we are attested to, right, right our specific report, everything in that report is built around. So there, there's really two portions to that report, okay? So you have the side of the report that's all just the, the paperwork, you know, the checks and boxes, and then you have the actual operationalized side of that report, okay? And that operationalized side is where we start talking about the physical system that we utilize internally and the processes that we execute against that system to ensure that things are happening repeatedly and consistently. Two key words there, repeatedly and consistently, right? So as we get those two things happening and we start to get that ball turning, you're absolutely right. That's gonna kind of oil the wheel, if you will, and it's gonna help us meet those requirements, right? Because if we're dropping SOC 2 attestation elements and we're failing to execute correctly against those, then you're right. Chances are we're probably going to be dropping SLAs. We're probably right. going to be, you know, uh, missing uh, milestones, for example, on a project, right? Um, so it all intertwines and it all works together. And it's very important that, you know, businesses take that into account that it's much more than a piece of paper. You have attested to something, now you need to act against it, right? Don't take it as just an exercise. Take it as a meaningful six months or however long your attestation period is 
to really define those processes so that your business becomes much more operational with consistency. And that's what a SOC 2 report will give you if you use it correctly. So what's SOC 2 plus? Okay, I wanna go through SOC 2 plus something else. Now that something else could be HIPAA, it could be high trust, NYDFS now has one, right? So what this is, is it's saying that, okay, so I do a lot of work with healthcare, okay? So what I'm saying now is that I'm going to attest to SOC 2 as I've already done, right? So it's a SOC 2 audit, but the assessor is also going to ensure that those policies and procedures encompassed within that SOC 2 audit also meet requirements within the framework that I choose, high trust, HIPAA, et cetera, right? Okay. So if I do HIPAA and I say that I'm doing onboarding, offboarding, and this is my process for onboarding a new employee or user, does that also meet the same requirement presented in HIPAA? And then if not, I have to tweak that process to satisfy both SOC 2 and HIPAA requirements. But I'm not attested to HIPAA. That's the big thing that you need to understand is that it's just kind of a validation that gives your customers some peace of mind. They're SOC 2 attested, but they're also in compliance with my HIPAA standards for healthcare. Can a healthcare company um say that they are SOC 2 uh, with high trust compliance, but not really ever get the high trust certification? So the answer to that question, that's a tricky one. It could really be yes or no, right? So it really depends on, you know, if, if you're a healthcare business, right? And you're attested to HIPAA, right? And you need to go get high trust certification which is a very expensive exercise. Very expensive exercise. I would like to think, you know, that that would be, it's probably a 50-50 split. You know, I'm just guessing um, because, you know, there could be policies in place that say, no, you need to go get your high trust requirement. We've recently experienced that with one of our customers, right? Where they're being told, nope, you've got to go get high trust, no exceptions. And it would be much easier for them to just go through a SOC 2 attestation plus HIPAA or, or high trust, right? and just obtain that, um, not easier in terms of, you know, because you still have to meet the requirements. I wanna be very clear about that, right? The assessor is not gonna sign off unless, you're, unless you are meeting the requirements. However, the scope in a high trust audit significantly enhances itself because if you're doing SOC 2 plus high trust, the only things that they're gonna look at for high trust are the elements encompassed inside of your SOC 2 controls. See where I'm going? Got Whereas it. if you do a, a full-fledged high-trust audit, now you're going to have to adhere to everything in that entire framework, right? Okay. So the scope is minimal. However, everything that you're doing meets or exceeds the requirements on the flip side of the plus, whatever you choose. So, uh, you know, oversimplifying here, you, you know, if you do SOC 2 plus, it could be kind of like high-trust light or HIPAA light. Exactly. Like, That's exactly right? what it would be. Yep. Got it. Put it on a diet, make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about that. I, I know when we were going through it, um, it was a non-trivial exercise. It took us a lot of time and effort to get uh, things compiled. If a company wants to uh, prepare for SOC 2, what would you recommend? Your tips or suggestions mm -hmm. to get ready for this? Looking back on our experience with it, the first thing I would recommend is to 
consult with your specific assessor as soon as possible. So the very first piece of the puzzle is to find who you want to conduct your audit, in my opinion, because based on assessors, right? Like I, I have my own opinion on, on how things should be executed. You're gonna have your own little opinion here and there on how certain things should happen, right? Okay. And some of your audit within reason is certainly going to be built around what your assessor wants to see, okay? For us, that was very minimal. Um, there were just a few things that, you know, our assessor came in and said, you know, we, we want to see things a certain way, but 95% plus of our audit was very open-ended and we could set that process accordingly. The second piece of the puzzle, get things documented, right? You, you need to put things on paper, right? Follow your own internal processes. It doesn't have to be pretty in the beginning, but start brainstorming how you want to execute against everything, right? How do we want to pursue onboarding and offboarding? How do we want to go about having security tools and protocols in place, right? What does our escalation look like? You need to define all that. And then there's business things too, you know, uh, disaster recovery, uh, business continuity plans, things of that nature. All of this is encompassed. Most businesses are probably going to have these, at least in a draft form. Okay. Right? But you need you to would tweak hope. Them. Yep. Because if you don't tweak them and you just take something that was thrown together and then you just submit that to your audit, there's a good chance that that's going to get certified and now you're attested to that, right? So that's your process. Congratulations. So tweak it, get it right. The third thing, and this is probably more for the MSSP side of, of things, define your system, right? And the system, I'm air quoting over here, right? Not a physical system per se, but the system is how how your management console works, right? And when I say management console, I mean, how you are putting the pieces together to manage your client's data, right? It's vitally important that you understand how that works, how it all intertwines and operates, what connects, what's relying on what, right? And more importantly, you have to start to build access controls around all of those specific elements, right? And the access controls in SOC 2 are actually pretty straightforward. There really are none. You just have to have them in place. They have to be logical. They have to be conclusive is the word that they use. Conclusive okay. meaning that, okay, here it is. I, I'm going to do this and, and this is it, right? And then the third step of creating those controls is you have to have a way to enhance the control measure through admin access without defaulting on the policy that you've set forth. Make sense? Let me explain that a little bit. So you lost me on that one. So there's a very specific section for admin uh, incorporation. So those who have direct access to the client's data, right? That's what SOC 2 refers to as an admin, right? That's okay. their definition. So what you have to do here is you have to have a very specific detailed process for one. So you have your, your access request for your average person, right? Your average employee. But for the admin access, there's a whole different process, right? So some corporations, especially larger, if you're going to gain access, for instance, you have to go through uh, deeper background checks. You know, that's one example of many um, if you're going to gain access to all that client sensitive data. Um, so you have to have processes in place specific to the admin access. And believe it or not, from what I've gathered and speaking to several assessors for SOC 2, that's where a lot of organizations kind of stumble because they don't have any processes in place. They just divvy out that admin access and they continue to do that throughout their audit. And then they end up with a, a red line on their mark, you know, a red mark on their report because there's no control in place to really limit 
and control the access being given directly to the customer data. Make yep. sense? Yep. It, it does. And I know that we follow that quite extensively. Yep. Uh, when, whenever uh, any more anybody wanting access to a system, even if it's a non-admin level, mm -hmm. there's a formal approach that has to be taken and documented. And uh, we keep all those logs, logs of those access requests and yeah. uh, removal of those access requests. Yeah, know, I put a lot of time into that specifically, you know, because our, our clients' data is largely our, our most treasured asset. You know, we, we love our clients and we want to protect them at every chance possible. And, you know, we took a significant amount of time and put in some significant effort to ensure that our controls around the direct access to that information was limited and, more importantly, highly secure, as secure as possible to prevent any malicious, you know, actions inside of there. So. Jordan, what about this notion of saying, you know what, all the technologies that I use, they're all in the cloud. And that's not going to be a unique circumstance for a lot of our clients, right? Because small, medium business, we're not talking about the megacorp where they have heavy on-prem legacy things that, that exist. But uh, in our space, a huge number of our customer base is cloud first and they're cloud only. Uh, yep. They don't even have an Active Directory server on premises, right? Very which uncommon. Is, yep. Which is very common and it's the right thing to do. It makes a lot of sense from a cost, maintenance, flexibility, a, a host of reasons. Mm -hmm. They say that all those systems are in the cloud and every one of those technologies that we're using, they're SOC to type two certified. So by proxy, I'm SOC to type two certified. Mm -hmm. Is that valid or is that? Uh... <laughs> so first of all, that's the approach that we took. You know, our entire VSOC is all virtualized and that VSOC for the, for the viewers and listeners, that is our system, right? We comprised everything in the cloud. And our assessor looked at that and he thought initially, this is a really unique way of doing this, okay? Now, yes, you absolutely can say that you are compliant, right? So if everything's in the cloud and each of those respective tools in the cloud has a SOC 2 attestation report behind it, right? Meaning that they've gone through the process internally, then yes, by default, you are technically SOC 2 type one or type two, whatever you do, compliant. However, you're not attested until you go through the report. That's vitally important, right? So, and that's and, and, where you find, but that's where, uh, you know, the devil's always in the details and, and that's right. where you find those details. Mm -hmm. I think in our case, regardless of the fact that our system was SOC 2, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm air quoting here, right. compliant SOC 2 type two compliant, we still had to prove significant controls yes. to get our attestation. There was no way around that, regardless of who you use. And I want to make sure our listeners understand that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. So absolutely. It's a so, little bit of a myth there, right? I mean, you can't do it completely by proxy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. You cannot do it by proxy, right? And but again, so one point I want to hit on here is backtrack to when I said that. For, from an MSSP perspective, bringing this SOC 2 mentality to our customers, this is where our value comes in. We have the control measures in place to access your data. However, we strategically choose our, our tools and the services behind them 
to meet SOC 2 compliance factors, right? So as an MSSP, by doing business with Dark Rhino Security, you are now essentially SOC 2 compliant by default because you are using a lot of the tools who already have SOC 2 attestation behind them. And then the services, that's where our internal control measures come in is around the service aspect of all of that, right? Because we have those controls in place with the accesses and everything and the ability to ensure that your data is fully secure, our service offering behind that is also attested to our report, making the whole process 360 within the scope and the framework so of a SOC 2 attestation. Let's give a practical example here. So if uh, when a customer hires us, they're inheriting our SOC 2 controls because they've hired us and we're servicing them with those controls in place. Absolutely. However, and this is the big however, they can in their environment choose to disable our controls, mm -hmm. right? So we are providing X number of services to them. They could say, well, we don't want to uh, have you, we're going to disable your endpoint monitoring uh, from on these certain assets. Well, now they have completely disabled our SOC 2 controls around that. Mm -hmm. Right. So therefore, they're they need to have their own attestation. Therefore, they are no longer in compliance with what we have set up as our process procedure and controls. They're out of compliance. Mm -hmm. So they would still and, uh, you know, regardless, they would still have to go through their own attestation. Mm -hmm. And say in their report to stay compliant that they are by design not going to have anybody monitor these assets and there might be some very valid reasons for it i, I can't think of any right now but there might be right and right. uh and then they would still be even though they're not compliant to our SOC 2 they're still compliant to their own which is what matters at the end of the day right Certainly. Yeah, no, and I would definitely agree with that, Manoj. That's a very good point, you know, and there are times when, you know, customers will have a logical reason, you know, for instance, it could be high trust, you know. Uh, for instance, one of my clients, you know, uh, they require direct access to the SIM, but not only the SIM, they also require direct access to the, uh, the, the logs that are generated into my reporting areas, right? So to do that, right, we have to grant them that access, which doesn't circumvent my process, but it circumvents SOC 2 on his side if you're looking at it from you're compliant because of Dark Rhino security, right? So because they have to have that direct access, their policy becomes essentially violated from a SOC 2 perspective. However, it meets the parent requirement of high trust, right? So that's where it's kind of a onesies and twosies. You got to kind of play the game, right, and figure out what way the company needs to go from an operational perspective to meet their overarching compliance framework. Yeah. Well, let's talk about compliance in a box. Cause I mm -hmm. remember early on when we looked at this, that we were looking for solutions, you know, everybody wanted a, an app or a software or something <laughs> that you can buy or subscribe oh, yes. to. Oh, yes. <laughs> and, and then you answer a couple questions and out comes uh, the magical genie that gives you compliance in a box uh, as I'll call it. Yes. And I Terrible we, idea. Yeah, please. Terrible yeah, yeah. idea. Please. So, 
so here's the thing. So, you know, look, I'm just going to I'm just going to level with our viewers and listeners right now. When we first started this thing uh working towards our SOC 2 at a station, you know, we we were in a lot of ways working from the ground up. You know, we we had policies and procedures in place absolutely, right? But now we had to begin to standardize some of those and really formalize them. Okay, and in doing so, we considered, right? I'm almost embarrassed to admit that, but we we did consider, <laughs> you know, the sock in a box, you know, which right. is going out and hiring a company. Now, obviously, that's just a terrible idea because if someone else is writing your policies and your procedures for you, that's just no bueno. I mean, if you have an internal auditor or assessor, somebody who is hired to come inside physically of your organization, talk to the right people, the stakeholders and define these things, then yeah, that would probably work just fine, right? But you're essentially getting the inside intel on how things should operate, right? And how it's desired. Um, but it's vitally important that you take the, the very personal touch approach to your SOC reports, because again, you have to remember when it's all said and done, you are now going to be attested to that framework. And that assessor can come in at any time and he and she can say, okay, I wanna see proof of a, B, X, and Y, right? I want to see right. proof of these right now. And if you just get a SOC report to say you have a SOC report, that assessor shows up and you're not following the, the policies and procedures set forth therein, there you're you go. In you're in trouble and you're going to lose your attestation and you're going to have to go through the process all over again and basically start from ground zero. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think, you know, uh, whenever you do the sock in a box kind of a thing, um, you know, what you kind of lose a little bit of what makes you unique because you yep. uh, you have built your company based on uh, a certain set of processes, procedures, offerings, and things that make you unique to everybody else. Yep. Uh, and if you're just borrowing something that is completely off the shelf, it might blunt that uniqueness, which from a business perspective is a bad move to make. Really bad move. And one thing that I learned as we were progressing through our SOC report is first going into it, I thought it was gonna be a very kind of textbook process, right? You know, meaning and what I mean by that is I thought it was gonna be, okay, well, here's kind of the generic standard that's accepted. Let's just, you know, we're gonna run with this. No, you can actually take that report and much to what you're saying, you can incorporate the significant value that you add as an organization into that report, right? So the way that the the fundamental way that we approach things at Dark Rhino Security is certainly a little bit of a paradigm shift, but that paradigm shift directly aligns with our, our target market, right? Our, our SMB clients, right? And because we've created that paradigm shift and we have drafted our SOC 2 policies and procedures around that mentality, now our value is kind of 360, right? It's encompassed everywhere from the direct interaction to our own internal policies. You reap the benefits of that across the board. Yeah. Right. I agree with you completely. Now, the other part of it is, though, let's sticking to the sock in a box, it's the cost aspect of this, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this is not a cheap exercise. No, it is at not. all. It's a, it <laughs> is a, it is a financial investment to say the least. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Is there any tips and tricks that you could share on minimizing cost mm -hmm. that goes along with it? Any ideations around that? 
Well, you're going to incur costs either way, right? Whether it be internal or by... So no, you're firm. paying the auditor. They got yeah, you're paying the assessor one way or the other, yeah. which is where the fee comes. Um, but to circumvent cost a little bit, you know, and and again, you know, just do it yourself. I, I can't stress that enough. You know, we we took to so many different avenues on ways that we could help have someone help us through this because we were blind to this when we came into it. We didn't know. And now I, I, I'm comfortable claiming to be a, a fairly reasonable expert within it. You know? Right. And, um, you know, and, and if you take the time and you learn it and you just do it yourself, put your words on paper, make sure that your processes are not only the processes that you wish to have, but you also have to ask yourself that, okay, this is what we want to have happen. Now can I operationalize this? Does it make logical operational sense? If somebody drafts your policies for you, right, you're just going to waste time and money because you're paying them to do it. And on the back end, I would almost bet with reasonable you know, statistics that you're probably going to end up with policies and procedures that are very difficult, if even possible, to operationalize. So now you're going to have to backtrack anyway, fix it, assess yourself again. So you've already doubled your fees. See where I'm going? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, the... Jordan, I see where you're going. Uh, it's a pay me now or pay me later kind of a thing. Pay me now. Get it right, right from the start. Yeah. Get it right from the start. Uh, cheap really isn't cheap. You're going to pay for it three or four times over and it's not cheap. Yep. Anymore, right. <laughs> that's and right. that's the, that's the temptation with the sock in a box mm -hmm. kind of a solution, right? Cost perspective, there's offers out there that will do it for X amount. And it's about half of what the market rate is. And it's so easy to say, all right, let's just, Let's just do this, but it's not sustainable. Exactly, it's not sustainable. And one more thing that I would add to this, Manoj, is that, look, you know, when, when we first came into the SOC 2 and I was tasked with writing a lot of the, the policies, right? Right. It was overwhelming at first, but I must admit, you know, when, as we started to progress into it, you know, at first I was very blind, everything was, I was really stressed, I didn't know where to go. But after some research, consulting with the right people, right? Thankfully, I had access to several folks who knew quite a bit about SOC 2 policies, procedures, how it all works, right? And going through the exercise proved very valuable, not only for me, but more importantly for our organization. It was actually kind of fun because it helped us grow up. It helped us mature. And if you approach it from that lens where, okay, we're going to take this process, we're going to approach our SOC 2 and we are going to improve ourselves in and through this. If you remind yourself of that from day one, your end state goal, you are gonna come out the day you get that report. Not only are you gonna be attested to that framework, that's only the, the smallest of the benefits to say that you're SOC 2 attested. The overarching much broader benefit is that you are going to be a significantly improved and enhanced company with far more capability than what you went into it with if you take the time do it yourself and get it right from the start. Let's tell me a little bit about the challenges. Let's talk about that. So once these policies were written and uh, we have been very diligent about the compliance aspect of it, what were some of the challenges that uh, in your mind were the biggest ones to overcome? Well, there were many challenges, but the biggest, the, the single biggest challenge, right, that, that I feel that we faced internally, right, was defining our system early on, right? That's from that perspective. So let's, I want you to look at it from the operational side. So once you have okay. put the policy in place, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> what happened? Policy <laughs> enforcement. <laughs> so, um, so, so here's the thing. Some, you know, what areas that people yeah. not want yeah. to play ball in? <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing, Manoj. You know, so you, you go through this assessment, and you know, kind of contrary to what I just said, you get that pretty piece of paper. You can't take a breather. Now you have to operationalize it, right? Right. And you know, the thing is, is it, it's it's an internal shift. As much as it is a shift for your organization from a okay, we're compliant now. Now it's a process shift you know, across the board. Everybody must adhere to these policies. Getting executives to adhere to policies, you know, that can be difficult. I uh, think it can, but I'm, that's the that's the little yeah. tidbit I wanted, and and I think yeah. you need executive sponsorship. If well, first of all, you would you, pro, you would have to have it to do it, but uh -huh. um, it's not a piece of paper, and getting those guys to adhere to it is a non-trivial task because it does right. impose controls. Well, and this is where internal communication, you know, you hear this a lot, no matter what industry you work in, right? You could work for McDonald's or you could work for, you know, uh, the biggest of biggest companies, right? Uh, you know, but getting that communication out and getting the buy-in, right? It's been very easy here at Dark Rhino to get the buy-in to our process because we all had our individual hands in the process of drafting it, right? But then when it goes to operationalizing it, it all comes down to awareness, right? Much like security awareness. You have to make the folks aware of what they're not complying with. You have to have the, you know, the the fortitude to stop it right there and say, no, this is wrong. We do it this way, and here's why we do it this way. And when everybody understands the how and the why, more importantly, the why, you get that operational shift in mentality, and then things start to turn and things start to click. It was definitely a little bit of a process for us to transition from being attested to fully adopting the the controls, right? But we've done so, and you know that's all come through, uh, you know, hard knocks as we like to say. But at the same time, it's having checks and balances in place to test those controls to make sure that we're in compliance. Yep. Right, and I would, you know, one thing I would add to this is that probably on the operationalizing side you really have to get familiar with the words no and why no right? and why <laughs> that's right no and why yeah. uh, and you have to be comfortable saying that to the ceo the cfo or to the gentleman or woman running your sock um yeah the answer is no and why that is a whole another aspect to the report is your testing controls Right, so here's all of your your controls on how you limit access and whatnot. How do you test that now? How do you audit? How do you assess that you are in compliance? Right, and this is where that comes into play is when you go to operationalize it, test it, make sure it's working, and then you correct your deficiencies as they come. Right, and and then over time it just kind of morphs itself into an adopted principle that everybody understands and and they roll with it. Are there any resources? that you could suggest to our listeners to go to that can look at areas that are assessed and questions that they need to answer, something like a preview that mm -hmm. gives them an idea of what they might be entering in with here. Yep, so I'm gonna be really honest what I did early on. Um, at the time we had a, um, a previous employee that worked for us and he would constantly just kick me, uh, he would just use Google. I mean, I know that sounds like a very bland, vague answer, but it's truth. Uh, you know, if you just Google SOC 2 requirements online, you can find a wealth of information. There is, however, one really, really good resource out there. Um, 
if you can if you have access to or can get access to the high trust framework now don't confuse high trust with SOC 2 okay but they're largely similar okay uh, high trust is much more in depth and that's actually the approach and I don't know if you even know that that's actually the approach that I, I took um, I, I kind of shifted to that mentality halfway through where I was actually making sure that everything met high trust because if it meets high trust it's going to meet SOC 2 requirements High trust just takes it to a more granular level. So the SOC 2 framework, there really is no such thing as, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? Um, whereas with high trust, there is, right? So if you can meet all of those requirements in high trust, SOC 2 kind of comes by default. Um, and the high trust roadmap just kind of helps you detail out the little nuances of each control to make sure that you're you know, you're okay. So we have this, and this meets SOC too. But I can go deeper. I can go deeper, right? Adding more value to the security. Um, but as far as direct resources, um, there's a couple websites. I can't think of what they are. But um, well, if you, you know, think of them, tell me, and I'll put them in the show notes, right? Yeah, I'll find them, and you can post them. And um, also too, just the high, again, getting with your assessor early. If you're confident that you know, your assessor will guide you. If you have an assessor that's not guiding you through the process and validating what you're submitting as you go, get a new assessor. On those kind words, Jordan, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you taking uh, your Friday morning to be here. Yeah, and, a lot of fun. Uh, I think we're going to need to do a part two to this because there's a lot more that goes into uh, SOC 2. Uh, and we've just started to scratch the surface of this topic.